With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Ruthie today. Enjoy your HN Podcast coming at you. It is the 14th day of August as I record this. As I record this with HawkeyeNation.com's Rob Howe. As uh, we wanted to dive in a little bit closer to the weekend, Steve Dace and I last night did a podcast that really didn't talk a lot about Iowa's uh, Kids Day open practice because neither Steve nor I was there. And I told you last night that Rob and I were going to get together uh, to, to do something and talk about the open practice because Rob was there and here we are. Rob, you were out there under the sun. Um, did you come away with feeling like you know anything more than you did uh, a few weeks ago just from, uh, based from your spring observations carrying forward, any areas, you know, generally that maybe look better or worse and then we can dive into the specifics? Yeah, I, John, I just think generally they looked like they, they had several months of practice since the spring and I think in most areas, I'm trying to think of something that didn't look a little bit, at least a little bit better, um, and nothing really comes to mind. Um, there were guys out with injury, um, some guys that they're still taking it slow, slowly with, coming back from injury, uh, guys like Matt Nelson, who, who played quite a bit the other day, but not as much as he would during the regular season. You know, Nathan Budgeta, then obviously Matt Vandenberg, didn't see a whole lot of those guys. Uh, the other day, but got got exposure to, to some of the newer guys and some of the guys that have been around and are thrust into bigger roles. Um, and overall, I think I left the field feeling a little bit better um, than I left the field when, uh, you know, it was the end of the spring game. Well, that's a good thing for sure. Let, let's start with quarterback. That's a, a position of very much importance on any football team any year, whether you have a returning starter or guys who've never started, which is the situation Iowa has this year. You know, in in your write-up and observation, also from some of the videos I watched uh, that you put on HawkeyeNation.com, folks, and if you missed the open practice and you want to feel like you were there, just go to HawkeyeNation.com and look at Rob's video cut-ups and you'll see uh, see a lot. And you, I'll just read your line. It didn't really seem close between Stanley and Uyghurs. No. I mean, in that one snapshot, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody uh, that attended Saturday's practice that felt like it was close. Um, it just wasn't. And, you know, and I try to keep in perspective what, what Kirk cautioned us about after practice was, you know, it's only one of 12, and now today, um, August 14th, would, would have been the 13th practice. So that was one of 13 practices that the coaches have watched. Um, but it was I think it was a combination of Stanley looked quite a bit better than he did in the spring 
And I didn't think Wiggers looked better. He may have looked worse. He just looked. And again, I don't want to kill the kid because it was only you know one day and one exposure. And there's a lot of moving parts right now in the offensive line, receiver, uh, what have you. But he just looked indecisive. He held on the ball a lot. The defense and the sack numbers are a little bit misleading just because I don't know if some of those, you know, it was basically if you're in the area of the quarterback, that counts as a sack. And we all know that there are times when the quarterback can get out of pressure and and extend plays. We saw that enough with C.J. Beathard. But uh, I just felt like Stanley was just – he looked more comfortable. And he didn't, have a, he didn't have a great day by any means. He still has a tendency to overthrow the ball um, and lose his accuracy at times and get goofy with his footwork. Um, but he looks like he's progressing um, at, a, at a decent rate. Um, I still think there's going to be bumps with that position this season, especially early in the year. Uh, but you would expect that from a first-year starter. Yeah, you would, and and Iowa's had their share of experience with first-year starters in the Ferentz era, and can coincidentally, uh, ironically, whatever you want to call it, uh, many first-year starters have had a pretty good run. And you know, Uyghurs has been in the program for a long time, and and boy, you got to think that if he isn't if he isn't clearly the number one, and it's even close. And I think we've said this before. I think you go with Nathan Stanley, who has three more years in the program, and and who I think has. Um, more upside. Um, the Big Ten Network was in Iowa City on Monday, the day we record this. And Jerry DiNardo's comments, and really I think the comments of most of the guys there, or I'll just leave it to DiNardo because he, he spoke. He said he couldn't tell any separation between the two of them from what he witnessed on Monday. Now, who's to say if you know the, the performance of both quarterbacks was similar or if the Big Ten Network is just being milk toast? And doesn't want to, you know, doesn't want to, you know, rock the boat at all. But I mean, it sounds like they didn't see this either. They didn't see the separation that you saw, and not just you, Rob, but several other Iowa media members were there. Every article I read, seemingly was everybody felt that Stanley was significantly outperformed Tyler Uyghurs. Big Ten Network guys at least didn't say so. Yeah, and I mean, again. As we talked about, it's it, we saw one of 13. You know, they saw one of 13. W- w- there's just no way that either they or or the, the us that were there on Saturday, or um, you know, even that small snapshot we got um, on a, le- a week ago Monday on the seventh, where they let us in the practice for a little bit, and we just kind of got to look to see, you know, how guys were, how, how the two guys were, uh, I don't know, leading the team, how their presence was on the field, and. There wasn't much difference in that day, although it was a short amount of time. And Kirk cautioned us on that on Saturday. He, he said it's still too close to call. I talked to Noah Fant after, and he said he wouldn't want to make the decision. It's been that close. Um, Wadley said the same thing. He said it's close. Um, maybe it is the company line, John. I don't know. Um, you know, it didn't look that way on Saturday. But again, that, that's just one day. Um, I, I still would put my money on Stanley, but nothing shocks me in college sports anymore. Right. And if I were to go with Wiggers, I would not be shocked. I'd be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, let, let's just let's just say that it is close, that it's too close to call. Um, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Or is it really neither? Um, it, it, I guess it depends on how it plays out. I guess if it's too close to call, they've got to make a call one way or the other. Kirk was asked Saturday... If he, you know, if he'd consider playing both quarterbacks to, you know, in the game one to start the season and then kind of let that be part of the competition. And he, he didn't seem too keen on that idea. So they're going to make a decision. 
Now, do they pick the right guy? Um, if they pick Stanley and he struggles early, then are we start? Then we're, are we going, you know, rolling into a, you know, a controversy of, you know, should Wiggers be the guy? Should Peyton Manziel be the guy? Should Ryan Boyle be the guy? Because we're going to get all that if, there, if whoever it is that starts the season struggles, we're going to hear the controversy and the people and whether they like it or not and maybe they'll say it's not a controversy in the locker room they're going to be asked about it kirk's going to be asked about it it'll be a distraction it was a distraction in 2014 we've been through these things before john we know it'll be a distraction so it's a it's a delicate situation for sure that they're this close to the season less than three weeks out and they still don't have a starting quarterback yeah and somebody's going to be incredibly disappointed as you mentioned um that could be a distraction. I mean, these guys are only human. There's factions. There's guys that came in with Tyler Weegers. There's guys that are younger that are more close to Nathan Stanley. So that is a, a delicate situation. Let's take a quick sponsor break. Exile Brewing Company back again this year sponsoring the HN Podcast. Let's hear from them. Right now, Rob and I will be back with plenty more after this break. Folks, Exile Brewing Company wants me to tell you about a big party they're going to have. Their five-year anniversary street party that's coming up. On September 16th, plenty of beer and fun will be had, as well as live sets by some very talented bands. Tickets on sale now, $20 in advance, $25 at the door during that fifth anniversary party on September 16th. The brew pub is going to be closed for regular service. Entry to the fifth anniversary street party, grounds, beer hall, patio, and annex bars will be only for those who have tickets. Tickets must be purchased in advance for $20 or at the door for $25. Cheers to five years, and here's to five more. We were talking quarterbacks before that break, Rob. Let's switch over to receivers. Uh, In your write-up, you mentioned that Nick Easley was out uh, with what Kirk Ferentz described as a uh, minor injury. Matt Vandenberg, limited reps. So that left an opportunity for several other guys, a lot of new guys out there. Who are some of the guys that flashed to you, and, and what are some of the, the newcomer names that you think will play this year? Yeah, and I saw one of the guys from Big Ten Network tweeted today, uh, Monday, that, that Easley was still out of practice. So he still had Sunday where they didn't practice. So whatever it is, he still didn't get back on the field from. And he needs those reps. I mean, he's still he was here in the spring, but he still needs more seasoning so to speak. So like he and, and Tristan Wirfs, who was out, um, who I think they were, th- you know, they're considering playing not to get too far off the, the track here of what your question was, but guys that are, there, there were quite a few guys out of practice on Saturday. Uh, and for a team that's young and trying to find and inexperienced and just trying to, to find guys to fill in that, that hurts whenever those guys are missing, missing practice. Vandenberg, I don't think I'm as worried about, I mean, he's four years in the program, uh, there's no need to push guys like him and Nathan Budgeta and Matt Nelson coming back off of injury. Just kind of ease them back in, uh, make sure they're engaged mentally, and and they'll be fine. Um, Vandenberg, Vandenberg's, Vandenberg's, four year, Vandenberg's four years in the program, but isn't this new offensive terminology? Yeah, but I think he's a smart kid. I mean, he came in and was supposed to be a gray shirt, and he played right away. He picked up that offense pretty quickly. Um, and he's been really engaged in the spring, even though he hasn't been on the field. You know, and talking to Kelton Copeland, he said Matt's the guy that's helping him teach some of the younger players. So I, I think a lot okay. of the concepts are the same. It's different terminology, as you said, different vernacular. But I, I think I, I think he's okay not getting reps, on-field reps. I think he'll be okay. Would it be better if he was out there? Sure. 
Um, but I don't, I'm not as concerned about that as I am a guy like, you know, a guy like Tristan Wirfs, who, who if he's going to be in that offensive line rotation or, or get a chance to play, this is really, and Nick Easley as well. I think it hurts him a lot more being out at this point. Yeah, Easley was showing up in some of the um, the videos that Iowa had shown from camp, getting deep. That one video they had last week with Wadley and Butler. Specifically, there were there were two or if not three long balls that, that Easley was catching and scoring on. Um, but back to the original question, some true freshmen that did step on the field, and if not, not just two true freshmen, Devontae Young had a good day. Talk about some of the receivers that did stand out, maybe some of the new guys too. Yeah, a lot was made of the Devontae Young, the deep pass that he caught from Stanley, and it was a really nicely thrown ball, but it was below coverage. Uh, Devontae Young was wide open. I don't know if I could have caught it, but I, I would have had a pretty good shot, <laughs> shot at it. That's how open he was. Uh, I was more impressed with the, the, you know, the kind of the back shoulder I was both impressed with Stanley's throw on the touchdown and also Devontae's young, Devontae Young's ability to adjust to the ball and make the catch with a guy hanging all over him. Um, that, to me, was a really nice play and gave me hope that, that he's maybe ready to take the next step. I would say the same, maybe to a lesser degree, because I don't think he got the ball thrown his way as much, but Adrian Falconer, uh, what you would expect and what we've been looking for and what you and I have talked about, John, a bigger receiver that goes across the middle. He was doing that the other day, catching the ball in traffic, showing good hands. Um, I, I think there's a role for him in doing that because there's not really other guys, with the exception of true freshman Brandon Smith, that has that size that Falconer has that can do that. Um, so, so that was a positive sign for me. And then I thought I thought all four of the true freshmen had their moments. Um, even Henry Marques caught a nice deep ball from from Peyton Manziel, who showed really good arm strength on the one throw. He looked like a deer in headlights most of the day, but you could tell that there's something there with him. He moves really well, and he's got a really strong arm. Um, so that was encouraging. And I thought I thought Max Cooper and uh, Amir Smith-Marset probably had a little bit better day than Brandon Smith. But again, I see Brandon Smith kind of working in that role that Adrian Falconer is. A lot of underneath stuff, a lot of stuff across the middle where you want a big receiver to get his hands on the ball, break some tackles in the middle of the field, almost like they use the tight ends, but maybe a little quicker across across the middle. Um, so, yeah, I saw there were some encouraging signs I saw Saturday from the receiver group. So receiver maybe an upgrade from a black hole that we thought it was in the spring. Yeah, definitely a step forward from the straight spring, without question. And, and and that's without Easley and Vandenberg really playing much the other day. So there's some potential there. Um, again, there'll be growing pains with a new quarterback and, and them getting used to, you know, different defensive looks and blocking and all that other stuff. But I, I feel, again, I feel better coming out of Saturday than I did coming out of the last spring practice. Okay, this I'm going to ask you something that's kind of a setup to something else. But you you – we're around back when Bob Sanders was a freshman. And you remember, let, let me just ask you for your opinion. I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll hit this with you fresh. What type of impact do you think Bob Sanders had when he was a freshman and young for the Iowa program? What, what do you think that he did when you remember back to that? Well, I would go off more, you know, through the years talking to Kirk about it. Um, and, I, and, I, and, and you were around too, and I think we witnessed it. It's just um, mindset's kind of a cliche word, but an attitude, um, a way of doing things, mm -hmm. a toughness that Bob brought. And he and Chris Doyle said this, too. He kind of changed the tone of the program. He came in and just started knocking heads from day one in practice, going hard. 
And, you know, some of the tweets today from the Big Ten Network about Iowa being the most physical practice, a lot of that goes back to Bob Sanders. He kind of set that tone, and he's not the only one. You know, there were, I think, you look at guys like, you know, Eric Steinbach and some of those early offensive line guys, um, you know, some Abdul Hodge, uh, Fred mm-hmm. Barr, Paul, Colin Cole. There were other guys, but Bob really set the tone and led the way for that. And um, I think he'll always be remembered for that. I agree wholeheartedly. That would have been my exact same answer, and it was certainly my same observations at the time. Bob was like that guy when if you had to walk in a bar because somebody somebody just pushed your girlfriend down and you weren't big enough to take care of the guy, you'd have gone back and got Bob, and you'd have come back, and you'd have taken care of business. It was I, I forget who I talked to. I think it was Fred Russell. Um, it may have been Liddell Betts, but they told me once – that guys would fake injuries in practice uh-huh. to not have to go against Bob. They were, <laughs> oh, man, not feeling, feeling. And it was legit. Those guys weren't making it up. Guys would, he would leave that type of impression on yeah. people. Yeah, I mean, they, they had to, like, dial him back even. Yeah. Um, now, okay, I'm not saying the program needs um, a big brother bully infusion right now. I think they're beyond that point. But I'm beginning. I shouldn't say I'm beginning to wonder. AJ Epinesa, it's as you tweeted today, the train has left the station on on his hype. He is certainly he's going to be in a position to play and have more of an impact than I thought he would. And that's not because I didn't believe in his ability. I just rare has been the instance at Iowa when a true freshman on either line of scrimmage has come in and made that big of an impact at the line of scrimmage. They're just not usually physically ready to do that. I think AJ is physically ready to do that. Do you think he might bring some of that edge with him, an infusion with him, that youthful exuberance, uh, and just that big brother type effect to maybe hone things a little bit for these guys? It's an interesting perspective, John. I hadn't really thought of it that way because, um, as you said, the program's a little farther around, a farther along, so it's a different dynamic than, than when Bob was here. But I can tell you this. I can tell you that he's increased the level of play on that defensive line. I think he's woken up some of those other guys to like how that were like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying those guys were dogging it, but sure. I, think, I think competition, you know, you know, What's it? Iron sharpens steel, iron. sharpens steel. Sharpen iron sharpens steel. iron. Right. Yeah, and I just think when I watched him on Saturday, he was going all out. Everybody was going all out. Mm-hmm. Is that just because of him? I don't know, but it's. I, it was obvious that that defensive line, whether they were moving Hesse and and Matt Nelson inside, or you know, it was. Um, uh, Anthony Nelson, seeing what, what A.J. was doing, I, I think they were feeding off each other, if nothing else. Um, and that's positive, and that trickles back. That trickles back, and you got veteran linebackers with a young secondary. I think that could have a huge impact. And he's just, for lack of a better term, and I mean this in the nicest way, he's a freak. He is just, it's just not, it doesn't come through here very often. We don't see this very often, if at all, that a kid this talented 18 or 19 year old, years old, they get that at Ohio State and Michigan and, and Florida and Texas and USC in those schools. I'm, I'm sure they get it a heck of a lot more than Iowa does. But 
it's not as surprising. You know him. You, you know, we both have watched him grow up, you more than I have. But, I mean, the guy dunks a basketball with ease. He's a really – he can play Division One basketball. He could be a very successful Division One track athlete. He's a, he's a freak of nature, really. And, you know, what Kirk said the other day is he doesn't even really even know what he's doing all the time, but he still does it pretty well. And that's kind of – that's got to be – Feel, that's got to sound really good for Iowa fans and uh, really scary for for opponents of Iowa this year and beyond. See, the the things you said, and I wasn't at the practice. Those are the things I was hoping to hear because I'm just start. I, I'm just kind of picking up that vibe that he is he is pushing people naturally to get better, to not lose playing time, but also maybe it's almost encouraging. Like, oh yeah. This is going to be fun. We're going to we're going to knock some heads, and the coaches have been very consistent in talking about wanting to play more players along the line of scrimmage. I mean that that great 2010 Iowa front four, you know, with two thirds of the season left, they ran out of gas. I mean that game against Northwestern over at in Evanston. I remember Adrian Claiborne just begging to come out of the game, and they couldn't take him out. Well, he played like 80-some snaps. I think Northwestern <laughs> ran over 50 snaps in one of those two halves. He and chased Dan Persa the whole day. Yeah, just dead, freaking dead, but tired. And this year, I don't think they're going to have to be in that situation. And I do think that there's this big brother, this 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 youthful naivete, whatever it is, this man-child comes in, and, and I think he can raise the raise the um, level of play and it sounds like based on your limited snapshot you think that there's at least that possibility um i think yet, that trickles to the offensive line too i mean i'm they sure it does and you know i i know ike becker was getting into it i there was one play where aj got off he got his weight was off he got off balance and peter Picar, who will be used a lot this year as a, as a blocking tight end and who's been in the program five years a pretty tough dude himself he knocked A.J. on his ass pretty good one play, but A.J. bounced right back up and got back after it again, and that was a good sign. And the one thing you know about A.J., and the coaches have said it, he's not a prima donna. He's not going to get fat on you know the hype that's going on and around the inside. He's, he's, pretty, he's pretty focused on what he wants to do with his football career and getting, getting better, and I don't see any of this hype going to his head. Yeah, I mean, I've been around – the family, the Epinesa family, since they were living in a little apartment in Olathe, Kansas, back in the you know late 1990s, um, you know the the night before I met, you know the the night I met my my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time. Obviously, it was the first time I ever met her. I came back to my buddy's apartment complex, who lived right next door to to Epi. And um, I hung out there all the time. I was single and about to start dating my would-be wife. And Epi would be cooking the food even back then that you see from all of his videos. And Sam, his, his daughter, who you know was a volleyball star at, at Purdue, she was running around the backyard. I mean, I've been around these people a long time, and maybe it's just maybe I'm a little protective and 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 don't want to set this kid up for for disappointment in the eyes of the fans. But I I just think it's kind of the Pandora's box is open and uh, he's a special, special athlete. I've not known many people who have a stronger family bond than, than AJ and the Epinesas. And uh, it's pretty cool to see it all unfold. Um, And they've gotten to where they are through hard work. He's seen his parents work their butts off. Oh yeah. And he knows that. And you know, if you, 
I, I know you've seen it and, and others people have, and there's been written about, but you know, Epi does a great job in the summer. Oh man. Training those kids down there, flipping big tractor tires and working out. So AJ's got, I mean, he's naturally gifted, but he's worked really hard at it as well to get to where he is. Epi, AJ's dad, Epines, Epines, who played at Iowa in the late 1990s. He's the kind of guy that every, that most small town communities, or at least where I've been, they have somebody or some people like that, that, you know, the whole, it takes a village, you know, phrase, the kind of guy that when, when these kids grow up that, and kids that, you know, didn't play anywhere beyond Edwardsville high school athletics, they'll remember Epinesa and the time that he invested in them. I mean, it's so cool to see that. And yeah, they work their butts off in the summer. I mean, it's hardcore. It's like a little mini Chris Doyle version going on in the backyard of a suburb of St. Louis. It's pretty funny to see. Um, you, you talked about the defensive line a bit, a bit more. Um, running backs from Saturday. You know, I think ever since uh, James Butler announced that he was coming to Iowa, a lot of people have let their minds wander. Oh, it's going to be, you know, LaShun Daniels or Akram Wadley part two with Wadley and now Butler because of, you know, the numbers that Butler threw up at Nevada, and, and obviously Butler's going to play a role, but it sounds like some folks may be sleeping on Torn Young. Yeah, and I've kind of been preaching on him for a few weeks, as you know. Um, he kind of caught my eye in the spring, just kind of the way he runs, and um, Kirk, Kirk went out of his way to compliment him too, and that's always something you perk your ears up when, when Kirk compliments a young guy, and he's just, he's just steady. He catches the ball really well out of the backfield. I would say and LaShawn Daniels wasn't terrible at it, but I, I Young's at a different level in that in that regard. Um, and he he runs really well between the tackles, but he's got a little giddy up to get to the outside too. Not that they'll use him to do that, but he's got enough wiggle that it's not just a straight ahead. That's certainly the strength of his game. Um, but I think he's going to – I definitely think he's going to play this year. And, and I don't think it's going to be like a couple carries a game. I think that he'll get five to eight pops a game. Um, I, it'll, I'll be interesting to see how they how they work this these guys in. Akram uh, was in the sw- slot quite a bit the other day. Um, Butler caught some passes. The, this running back, it, it's as deep as it, it's I can remember at Iowa, John. And there and there have been some good backs that have come through here in the Kirk Ferentz era. And I'm talking about that more than the Hayden era. Um, but you know, Ivory Kelly Martin is a kid that really hadn't been thought of to do much this year I could actually see him playing he looked really good on Saturday he he looked he's he was like wildly light uh in terms of not that same natural ability side to side and and the wiggle um and the vision yet but but pretty good and he was lining up in the slot and catching passes as well so it almost looked like he may have moved ahead of Tokes uh which was interesting to me and, and other people that I was talking to there so a really deep group of running backs with versatility. Um, and we talked about the receivers earlier, maybe taking some time to develop and, 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 and get used to things. I think they can do some things with the running backs early to, to ease that transition for those guys. I'm not asking you to make a prediction on this because you po- you can't possibly do so. But, you know, Tokes played last year as a true freshman, Torn Young redshirted. Could you see a scenario where Tokes redshirts this year? It was, It's an interesting um, – uh, interesting thought. Um, I, we've, I've thir- certainly thought about it and have talked to other people about it. I haven't asked Kirk about it. I don't think anybody else has either because uh, they're just kind of waiting to see how this thing plays out. But I think this staff now 
and whether that's Brian or whatever, um, his influence, they're going to play the best players. Um, and I'm not saying that's never been the case, but, you know, situations sometimes have dictated in the past how they do things in terms of grades and um, when I say grades, eligibility-wise of kids. Um, but we saw last year when Nathan Stanley ended up being the backup and they took the red shirt off of him. If, if Ivory Kelly Martin gives them a better chance to win than does Tokes this year, I could definitely see them redshirting Tokes if, if they feel like they don't need to use him this year. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that there could be that level of attitude change in there. And you know, Mark Morehouse and Scott Dockerman always have a, a funny saying. They call it uh, the union cards. The guys that have been there for a while and maybe seemingly are higher on the depth chart or play more than maybe some younger guys who haven't been there, but maybe look a little more athletic or better. And and it's impossible to sit here and say that, you know, the best players haven't played because th these guys are in the, in the game to win football games, but definitely seem more attacking. Um, yeah, and it was interesting the other day to that point, you, you look at a guy like Geno Stone, who, who wasn't on the depth chart coming into camp, he was, uh, but Noah Clayberg was, Stone clearly had moved ahead of him. And now that's a true freshman, where, you know, whereas Clayberg redshirted last year. So that's just another example of what we're talking about here that it doesn't matter what grade you're in and what experience you have. If you're playing better, you'll play. Mm-hmm. Um, offensive line was interesting. Talk about Boone Myers and what you saw there. And, again, it was one practice, but Myers not running with the ones at some times, moving across the line. Yeah, Kirk – Talk, that was one of the weirder things. Mark Morehouse and I both kind of were talking to each other about that was just kind of an odd thing. You don't see that, especially when they have a veteran group. They usually, you know, go with those horses. But taking into consideration that Boone has had a dinged-up ankle and, and has missed some time, um, and they're trying to, to mix and match and get some other looks uh, with their guys. They're, they're veteran enough on the offensive line that – it's not a thing where they need to get a whole lot of chemistry and cohesion. I think these guys have played enough with each other that it allows Polishek uh, and the Ferences to maybe mix and match and move guys around and see how they'll do in different spots should there be an injury uh, or just a change in, in you know, guys playing better. And I think Ross Reynolds has earned uh, his way up the chart and, and probably into that sixth-man role. And they're trying to get him some time, too, in, in camp just to kind of see how he works with things. But... In reading some of the Big Ten Network tweets today, it seemed like that, you know, that that veteran offensive line that we anticipated being the starters going into the season were starting again today and playing a lot today. So I think it was more of a, a function of of them trying to just get a look at more linemen in different spots than than anything maybe shake up uh, in terms of starting lineup. Watching your videos, uh, boy, James Daniels looks really good, really good at that center position. Yeah, he looked good last year, John, and I know you mentioned him a lot last year, uh, you know, during games and stuff. He's just, he's another guy that, you know, you don't see around here often just in terms of natural ability. Um, well, you have the Ohio State offer. I mean, he was a, a coveted, sought-after recruit. He had an alpha from Alabama. He picked yeah. Iowa over Alabama and Ohio State. That pretty much, uh, he's he's pretty special. Um, I, I think <laughs> if he can stay healthy, um, which he's had some, some bumps and bruises and things that have kept him out the last two years. If he can stay healthy, he's got a chance 
I think, to be the best center in the Big Ten, and that's saying something. Well, and maybe the best at Iowa, which would also say something. And, yeah, did, didn't he and Sean Welsh miss the uh, North Dakota State game last year? Yes. Yeah, so people forget that when they want to talk about that one. Um, we talked about defensive line. Linebacker seems almost like the position that you don't need to talk about. Did you see anything there worth noting? Yeah, I think the just trying to see some progress in that, you know, in the second and third teams, John, because, uh, you know, the veterans are going to do what they do. And I'm not I'm not going to, you know, try to convince anybody that they're going to be Kirksey, Morris and, and Hitchens, because that's really a, a high bar to set um, for them or, or Hodge and, and Greenway and, you know, that. But I, they're really solid. And Josie's as good as there has been that's come through at playing middle linebacker. And I think Neiman's an underrated Leo. Um, and Bo Bauer has really just gotten better each year. Um, so I, I think they're real solid. But Christian Welsh looked good as a backup middle linebacker. He, I think he's now the heir apparent uh, to Josie Jewell. And that's not casting Jack Hockaday aside, but I think Hockaday's ability to play the will as well um, and, and more of a, a utility guy at linebacker when he comes back and gets healthy. Um, I thought um, Jaimon, I think I'm saying that right, Jaimon Colbert, uh, who came in as a safety, um, was playing a, some will with the second team. He's a true freshman out of Kansas City. Um, went to the same high school initially as Aaron Menz and then transferred um, to another school. He was impressive. He's really athletic. Obviously, he played cornerback, uh, I think, as a sophomore and junior, and then switched to safety his senior year. And now they've got a, they moved him to linebacker. I was impressed with how he played. Um, so some of those backup linebackers are starting to make a move. Nick Neiman looked good. Kyle Taylor looked good at times. Just seeing a little bit of what the future was going to be back there. It seemed like those guys had taken some steps forward from the spring. Yeah, and th- that's encouraging because it sounds like they solidified depth where two, three years ago, depth at linebacker was kind of for the first time a concern um, yes. in the program. Um, secondary, you know, the BTN guys today saying that Iowa looks pretty good on the corners, uh, looks better on the corners than they do at safety, but Donardo saying given how – they, I mean, they were really complimentary of Iowa's front seven. And I, I've been really concerned about Iowa's defensive line all along. I'm not saying there's still no reason to be, but they were saying that given the strength that they believe Iowa's going to have in their front seven, you'd rather be inexperienced at safety than corner. Uh, what did you see from the secondary? Yeah, and I one to get off that topic just briefly, I would say defensive line, even ahead of wide receiver, when I left – the stadium on Saturday, I felt better about that group than I did of any mm. other group in terms of what I had concerns about. Just because being able to see Matt Nelson and Parker Hesse play inside a little bit, um, seeing Cedric Lattimore and, and Brady Reef taking their games forward a little bit, I feel a little bit more comfortable with that group. Good. And then obviously with Epinesa, Anthony Nelson, guys that can pressure the quarterback, that is tailor-made for a young secondary and an inexperienced secondary is to have a guy, have guys up front that can, can pressure the quarterback. It's been, so, it's, Rob, it's been several years since Iowa's had even an average pass rush. Yes. Yeah, and I think Anthony Nelson kind of got that ball rolling last year. Matt Nelson had – I think Matt Nelson is a very underrated player just in terms of uh, production, what he does fundamentally sound, one of the better uh, run stoppers on the edge – um, so I think he, his game can translate inside, and he can play inside and outside. Um, you know, Parker Hesse's a veteran now, and he looked pretty good inside. I mean, there's some speed in there next to the big, you know, <laughs> next to the human fire hydrant. Uh, Nathan Budgeta, who 
Reese Morgan says is naturally leveraged because he's short and stocked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and he's taking on double blocks. That frees guys up and, and to, to make plays. So I, I feel a lot better about that group. Manny Ragumba, John, I, I don't, you know I'm not much for hyperball and, and don't want to – I'm not one that go overboard. I, I think he's got star potential. I really do. I mean, I was watching him on Saturday, and he is just – he's Desmond King-like just in terms of being a ball hawk being tough physical on that on the on the outside um i think he's got a chance to be really really good um and i think josh jackson's makes made a lot of strides and so is michael ojamudi i think i think those three guys and then matt hankins another true freshman um who i won't forget to mention he was work he was working with the twos at corner with uh with ojamudi i think they're pretty solid they're gonna have some bumps because they're still young and, and teams will do things to mess them up and cross them up um, but the, there's, I feel pretty good as I, I have about a young group of corners than I have than I have in, a, in a quite a quite a long time. And Jake Travas is, he's a veteran safety. Um, he came in with Brandon Snyder. He doesn't have the game experience, um, but but he knows the system and he and he, he's learned under Phil Parker. And, and again, there'll be some bumps in the road, but I, I don't think it's a huge deal that he's in there at safety. It would be a lot more of a concern for me. If it was Imani Hooker and no knock on him or Geno Stone or one of the really young guys, Gervais has had time in the system and, and um, he knows what he's doing out there. And that's that's a huge deal. I mean, I, I was watching him, you know, when the first team defense come, came off, he was kind of the leader. He was rallying guys around. And that's good to see because that's such an that free safety spot is such an important part in this defense. And I was just going going back, looking at some of the uh, Iowa sack totals compared to other Big Ten teams through the years. In 2012, Iowa was last in the Big Ten in sacks with 13. And the next worst was 20. I mean, that, that is... The year, that was the year they had to play Drew Ott as a true freshman. That that was that defensive line was in shambles. Isn't that the year after, what's his name, left? Kaczynski? Rick Kaczynski might have been. Um, think, and there was I so think, much. There was so much attrition during the latter Rick, Rick Kaczynski era as well. Yeah, it was because Brian came in in 2012 and took over the offensive line. Reese moved to the defensive right. line in 2012, and whatever it is, five or six years later, this that speaks to Reese Morgan too. He can coach. He could probably coach volleyball, field hockey, whatever. I mean, the guy is just. I'm I'm a huge Reese Morgan fan, but he's done an amazing job with that defensive line and rebuilding it. Yeah, he has. And in 2010, Iowa finished fifth in sacks. That's the first. That's the you have to go back that far for an Iowa defense to be above middle of the pack in sacks. And think about that 2010 defensive line. You're talking Claiborne, Christian Ballard, Mike Daniels, Broderick Benz. I mean that that was a pretty loaded defensive line that year. Um, but you said, as you said, it wore down, and I think they can avoid doing that to this group. Yeah, no, no question about it. I mean, two thousand and eh, yeah, yeah. So pressure on the quarterback uh, is definitely something that is the best friend of a young secondary. So we'll see what happens. Even the kicking battle, Rob, is heating yeah. up between Miguel Versinos. I mean. We we all probably would have thought that after Keith Duncan kicks a game winner against Michigan as a freshman, dude's dude's got lifetime kicker emeritus status here, but that doesn't seem to be the case. You're surprised by that, right? I was yeah, I'm surprised up. by that. Yeah, I wasn't considering there'd be a kicker competition at all. 
I mean, I didn't even consider it. So, but in in fairness, as well as Keith did last year, he couldn't be counted on to kick the longer field goals. Ricino's had to come in and at least even take those attempts. He didn't always do well at it, but he looks like he's worked really hard on that. And he was true from 51 yards the other day, and that thing could have been good from 60. Uh, he made nine out of nine the other day, and he was hitting 40, 45, 50 yard attempts too. They weren't chip shots. So who knows? Maybe it's a situation where Duncan takes the close ones and the extra points, and, and Racinos, who was doing the kicking off the other day as well. Um, so I think he'll take that role over from uh, from Ron Caluzzi, uh, but then maybe handle the long field goals. And we didn't get a look at the punters. That was kind of disappointing because that is the one kind of elephant in the room right now that we always know that how important that is to this program and what it does and how all f- of the phases are important. Well, I, I think I'm not saying people took took uh, what Ron Caluzzi did last year lightly, um, but filling his shoes is a, is a big deal. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's a that's a huge thing for this team that field position, ball control. Because I think they're going to get in a lot of games where they're going to want to chew up clock and and sometimes a, a seven play, thirty four yard drive that you punt uh, a plus fifty punt. Uh, somebody else has a nickname for. It. I forgot what it was, but it was not flattering. But there's going <laughs> to be a lot of those. So but yeah, I mean, Duncan last year was nine of eleven on field goals. Racinos was one of three. So I, I didn't expect there to be a competition there, but it sounds were, like it definitely what were is. What was Duncan's longest, what were his longest field goals last year? Do you have that? Yeah, I, I don't have that broken down. Okay. Um, I don't remember him kicking any long ones. I remember them mostly being in that 25 to 35 yard range. Yeah. You're, you're right about that for sure. And um, go ahead. I was just going to say, and, Another thing we don't, you know, I didn't take this too, I didn't run with this too much the other day that Wadley was the number one kick returner. Um, I'm not sure I like that idea. I know you want to have your best guy back there, but this seems like a group where there there are enough guys that maybe can do that, that, that I would maybe not do that with him. That's just my feeling on it. I tend to agree. I don't know if Kirk had to, you know, if Kirk told Wadley uh, Ackerman anything back in January about maybe trying to feature him a little bit more there to help his future. That would be something that would jump to mind, but I agree with you. He is a, he's a special player on offense, the kind of player at running back that Iowa has seldom had in my lifetime with his abilities. So uh, I don't know that I want to see that either. There was one other aspect of Saturday that I wanted to go over that, totally escaped my mind once we got started talking about uh, about the specialists and I don't think it's going to come to me but you know they're I mean shoot Rob they're we're 19 days away from the opening game and as, as I've thought more about you know Iowa's first two games pretty salty opponents I mean Iowa State everybody thinks they're going to be better Las Vegas has their over under five and a half which is seems like you'd want to be begging to take the under but that's usually when Vegas thinks they know something that you don't that's usually when they that's usually when they empty your pockets yeah our, our friends out in Las Vegas Iowa gets you know one of the top quarterback prospects in next year's draft right off the top with Wyoming but man I gotta sit here and think I, I think the I think the Iowa game plan for those games is just pound and pound and pound and keep those potent offenses off the field yeah, you got to keep Allen and Jacob Park off the field as much as possible because, I mean, especially Iowa State. I mean, they're, they're they've got good backs. They've got we know they've got good receivers. Um, the key for Iowa State's going to be if their offensive line and defensive line 
uh, can can make progress over last year because they were brutal at times. Well, and they returned like what one offensive lineman. I mean, Campos is back. He got hurt last year, but they 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 are very green on the offensive line, the defensive line. They couldn't stop anybody, and and that's also a program, Rob, the defensively, that that's built to stop Big Twelve offenses right. or, or to compete with Big Twelve offenses. And there's no offense in the Big Twelve, with the exception of maybe a little bit Kansas State, that's built the way that Iowa wants to run the ball and pound it. Yeah, and I think that they bring in three junior JUCO defensive linemen. I think Iowa State. Yeah, I'm not I, sure. I'm going to give I, you the benefit of the doubt, knowing more Iowa State than I do. Yeah, they 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 tried to do some quick fixes, I think, on their defense, and that can go. You know, you mentioned Kansas State; it works for them, but. We'll see if it works for Iowa State, but they needed to do something. They needed to get, you know, they needed to grow quicker than what they would have with with through recruiting. So, you know, through high school recruiting. So, yeah, um, I, I I would think that Iowa should be able to run the ball and control the clock um, at Iowa State, but that game scares the crap out of me. I I'm not overly concerned with Wyoming. I've just started to pick at them a little bit and kind of see what's going on with. They lost one of their best offensive linemen, Wyoming. They they lost their three top receivers. Their um, school record holding running back. Yeah, they lost a lot on offense, and their defense wasn't very good last year. I'm not overly concerned. I mean, I think Wyoming and Allen will put some points up on them, but I, I don't think they're going to stop Iowa at all. And I think that's a game where you'll see Iowa control the clock, um, field position, and, and take advantage of, of being the more physical team. Uh, but man, yeah, that game in Ames, that second game in Ames just scares the crap out of me. Yeah, indeed. Um, I know what I wanted to bring up before we left here. Um, basketball. As you can tell this year, I'm like really geeked <laughs> on basketball. I mean, yeah, I'm too. What? From the, the has the Jack Nunji man love now switched over to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, whenever you see statistics like that that Luca put up in Europe, which is a carryover from what he did in the primetime league. And you see that the guys out there making 12 of 15 shots on a nightly basis these four games. And he scored 90 points and grabbed 41 boards in 75 minutes in four games in Europe, averaging 22.5 points, 10.25 rebounds, 1.2 points per minute, and 18.75 minutes per game. Now, the caveat is those teams they played were horrible. I think you could get some teams running over at the field house that could beat those teams. I don't disagree. I mean, we're going to use the term all. They use the term all. They throw that all star term around over there in Europe like it's, you know, pop bottle tops. I mean, everybody's an all star. Like, like they said last week, if they're the all stars, what does the rest of that league look yeah. like? So let's just say that they're not the greatest competition, but there wasn't anybody else on Iowa's team putting up the numbers that Luca put up. Um, and. Nobody, he, he dominated. It's, it's like when you watch high school football film of a class 2A kid in Iowa or another state playing against smaller competition. The thing that they absolutely have to do to catch the attention of Power 5 conference schools is they have to look heads and shoulders better than everyone. They have to look like a man amongst boys. And I think that Luca did that. And and now I am going to tap the brakes by saying that, you know, these guys are not good. And no, I'm not predicting. I, I, I tweeted today, I don't think the guy averages 10 points per game. I got people like 
tweeting at me one and done. One guy did it three days in a row. Like, oh, there's rumors that Luke is one and done. Like, rumors? I mean, rumors. He doesn't get a, I mean, his play will certainly have a, a, a say in that, but it's not going to happen. Because he's not going to have. People have to understand how small of a percentage of the players are one and done. It's a very select group. Yeah, and it, and Lucas, I don't think going to be in that group. He, I don't think he'll average ten points per game in the Big Ten or or next year overall. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I did a little research today. I went to one of my favorite websites in the world, Basketball-Reference.com. And you can go there and you can put in parameters dating back to 1992. So I had, okay, Big Ten Conference, true freshman, not true freshman, but freshman, a forward center, a center, or a center forward designation. They had all three of those. Anything involving a center. Since 1992, there have been seven players in the Big Ten who were centers who, as a freshman, Average 10 points per game or more in their freshman season. That list, Greg Oden, who is the number one NBA draft pick following his freshman season. Diamond Stone of Maryland, who we all remember from a few years ago. Thomas Bryant from Indiana, who just turned pro this last year. A.J. Hammonds, who was the Big Ten's player of the year and as the Big Ten record holder for double-doubles in a single season. Zach Randolph, who was a beast with Michigan State and who is still in the league. I think he was either a one-and-done or a two-and-done. Richard Griffith, who some of you may not remember, but I remember watching him, the Chicago King phenomenon, who went to Wisconsin. He was a freak of nature. And the seventh, Guy Rucker from Iowa, who last week when I was... I tweeted this out last week, so I'm going to give myself a pat in the back. I said that Garza's game from an offensive skill development standpoint... I said is as developed as any Iowa freshman center I can remember since Michael Payne and Guy Rucker. There's only seven, Rob, only seven true freshman centers in the Big Ten since 1992 that average at least 10 points per game. So that's my break tapping self-imposed for the moment. But, I, I mean, pretty impressive numbers for the guy over there. Yeah, definitely. And, and like you said, he did it in the PTL, too. Um and I, I feel like I've got somewhat of a handle on him just from, yeah. from watching him in high school and then watching him in the PTL. And we talked about it last week, too. Um, he plays with that energy level. So I, I don't know. I mean, he'll hit a wall at some point this year physically um, and, and perhaps mentally as well. Um, but I don't think it'll affect him as much as maybe some others just because he has that, that motor. Um, and I, I think two things, John. I think this trip gave Iowa obviously not good competition, but it gave Luca confidence. I think it just, he, he played well this summer in the PTL. Then he goes on this trip and that's so important for freshmen to kind of build your confidence. And I think it kind of, um, you know, this trip also was, was, was good for team chemistry and team bonding. I don't think from a basketball perspective, right. they probably learned a whole lot, um, but they gained confidence and they, get, they got closer as a team. I think the next three days they spend in Venice without any basketball. Um, so that'll be a good chance for them just to get to know each other. And it's a good timing for Garza to come in and have this foreign trip before right. his freshman year because it kind of, I don't want to say greases the skid, but it, it, it speeds up that, that bonding process. I still love me some Jack Nungy. Yeah. I, 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 I like him too. And I this... 
this that these two freshmen, I think, will both impact this squad um, significantly. Uh, and I think there'll be nights where one looks better than the other. Um, and for and Fran benefits from having such depth in that front court that he can go with the hot hand. Yeah, he can. And I, I had somebody send me this. I'm not sure who it was. They they reminded me and sent me the season box score from the 86-87 Iowa team that was an incredibly deep team. They had 10 players on that team average at least 11 minutes per game. 10. Where this Iowa team has at least 10 that are worthy of it. Maybe 11, maybe 12, maybe 13. I don't know about, you know, Macy Daly. Um, you know, if he's going to be deserving of it or Christian Williams or Dom Yule. Somebody's going to be the odd man out. I still sit here and look at the minutes and how Fran's going to do that and you know, night in, night out, there's going to be more than two or three guys that are probably irritated with the lack of minutes that they got. And maybe it's not going to be the same guy every night. Maybe that's how Fran does it. But, man, this is there's a lot of worthy players on this team. Yeah, well, I mean, Hemsel's got a year under his belt, but he really hasn't been able to play this summer. Um, Creeners look better. Um, you know, it's... It'll be interesting to see how he puts the pieces of the puzzle together, and there will be guys that will probably be a little salty about not getting playing time, but I think Fran does a good job of playing the guys that deserve to play or earn the minutes, um, and if they're winning, I think people care less. Right. I think guys care less. And I think one thing Fran seems to be good at, and you might have a better handle on this than me being there on the beat, he seems to he seems to communicate with the players well, and, and these guys aren't like left in the dark as to why or what. He seems to, these guys seem to know where they stand, and he lets them know. Yeah, and he, I mean, and I think we've got examples of that through the years. And Dale Jones knew last year that that was going to be his last year, even though he had eligibility left, just because of, you know, his health and, and kind of how the roster was coming together. Um, and I think Fran let him know that up front. I don't. We talked about, you know, Fran mentioning Brady Ellingson being a senior. I don't know what he's communicated to Brady so far, but my guess would be that he's been up front with him, as you said, and said, hey, you know, this is a possibility for you, that you may be a graduate transfer. Let's see what happens this year. And Ellingson could come out and just be, just be lights out and be such a weapon that, that they want him back next year. Um, and, and I know he's a, he's a well-liked kid on the team, too, so I don't want – you know, I know people have talked about this. I don't want it to just seem like Fran's pushing him out the door. It's just kind of the day and age of, of where we are in college athletics right now. It's just, you know, if you've had four years in a program, that may be your four years. Right. And you know, they, they fulfill their commitment to them. So, all right, that will wrap it up. Rob, thanks for uh, jumping on again. Just a lot of stuff going on. And, um, you know, I guess there won't be any more opportunities to, to see Iowa play or practice until they suit it up against Wyoming. Yeah, that was it. So we get they get, what, it'll be three weeks between the last time we see them and the time we see them again. So certainly some areas where they need to uh, pick it up a little bit, but I was encouraged by Saturday. All right, that'll wrap it up for this installment of the HN Podcast. Thanks again to Exile Brewing Company. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to you for listening. We will talk to you soon.